Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Derek Van Riper, you know Saris, Bricciaroli here with you. It is Wednesday, March 2nd. This episode will be available after we record it, like immediately after, instead of a, a day and a half later or whatever it normally is. So uh, we have breaking news in the sense that, you know, yesterday we, we found out that Things are going to take a little while to be sorted out between the owners and the players. The lockout will rage on. And it's frustrating to me because there was a point in the morning when we all woke up where we thought maybe there'll be a deal done. Maybe we would get to the end of this week and the players would be on their way to spring training and people would be happier than they were. No, it was not to be. The outline for this show 24 hours ago literally said, do we have a deal question mark the answer is a resounding no and we weren't even close and the final and best offer was neither the final (laughs) nor the best offer from the owners there will be more to come later on so we're not going to dwell too much on that but I will readily admit that because I wanted to believe things were close I went against my better sense and chose to believe things were close which is me being a little bit of a child, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I've been the optimist here, so I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Looking back, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that there were some things that pointed towards movement. So first of all, they had tons and tons of meetings that last day. They went late into the night. It seemed like there was a lot of activity. And then second of all, there are some aspects of the deal as it as it currently stands the one coming from the ownership that are good for players i'm not going to say that they're that that it's a totally terrible deal like the minimum salary is going to go up there is a bonus pool that never existed before those two things are good but the cbt not going up like just going up with inflation and not going up with with the way revenues are going that's just like a non-starter like it doesn't make any sense and people say it only it's only relevant to like the dodgers or whatever that i that makes me angry when people say that. I think it's totally off base. Some people say use the the number of people who go over the CBT as an example that it doesn't matter. My, that's an example to me that it's a cap. If people don't go over it, it's a cap. You know, so it's actually relevant to about ten teams. If it's relevant to ten teams, then and they would spend ten to twenty million dollars each. That's a more if there wasn't any cap. That's it's a big deal. It's a big it's a big freaking deal. And so, uh, you know, I think the CBT is, was the deal breaker in the end. It didn't move. It's not, even in the deal from the ownership, it's not supposed to move at all for three years. That's awful. That doesn't make any sense. That's a pay cut. That's a, that's the cap going down because inflation exists. So, um, yeah, the CBT was what I think would, 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 uh, would sunk it in the end. And it's too bad. Yeah. I, I probably have been the pessimist the whole time, right? Um, (laughs) 
I spoke to too many players yesterday who never thought it was close, mm. um, who were like kind of cautioned that, yeah, they were talking. Yeah. The league was finally engaged after months of really not being engaged and, and really being interested in talking, but there were so many points that they're still far away from. Um, you mentioned the CBT and that's certainly a big one, but the minimum salary still isn't where they want it. Um, that bonus pool for those players still isn't where they want it. Um, you know, and the players have dropped a lot of demands and you mentioned the CBT and I'm glad you did, you know, because this morning I was on the radio and they were asking like, well, don't the players want competitive balance? Isn't the CBT helping competitive balance? The CBT does not help competitive balance. There's been studies shown about the competitive balance in baseball versus other sports. The CBT, the using the CBT has not made um, a level playing field. And a lot of these small market owners are against raising the CBT uh, because they want to cry poor. And so I think, you know, you have that cap and you don't have a floor. And we kind of sit here today wondering when something is going to give at some point in time um, because it just doesn't look very good. Britt, I've wondered about this. Do you, do you think the owners are actually as unified as they appear to be on the outside? Because the, the smaller market teams versus the big market teams certainly have different needs, different demands, different hopes, different wishes. Is there a fracturing happening amongst the 30 owners that could be problematic for them at some point? I don't think they've ever been unified. I think the issue is we don't get to see them. I would love for somebody put this on Twitter, every owner to hold a press conference after yesterday, right? About what they believe, because I think it's very different. Uh, I think what Steve Cohen is going to say is very different uh, with the Mets than Stu Sternberg in Tampa Bay, right? So, you know, I think what Rob Manfred uh, really has to do, and we don't probably give him enough credit for, is he has to answer to 30 different owners with 30 different agendas. And I'm sure you know, that a lot of the politics happened over the last two days, right? Even if Rob Manfred wanted to get a deal done, even if he wanted to give the players all their concessions, they would still need the owners to sign off on it. You know, Manfred is the face of this and he will take all the blame, but I think people need to understand that as well, right? That the owners can at any time sign off on these changes, right? Manfred does not necessarily hold the power. He's more the mouthpiece in this situation. So I don't think they're a unified group. Um, I think when you look at how teams spend versus teams that don't spend, they're certainly not a unified group. Um, I also continue to be flummoxed by how many people side with the owners in this kind of stuff, by how many people are still um, like, well, the players should just play. They're still getting millions. Stop playing. Kids it's game. a kid's game. You know, I heard that a lot yesterday. Fart um, gun. And the people who actually look at the proposals and look at what the league has offered and has not offered uh, if you do the research for yourself, and I encourage you to, uh, you will have a really hard time making a case for the owners whose profits have gone up, who have let players' salaries go backwards in the minimum. They haven't even caught up with inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and who are now in a position where they can buy a team, own a team like the Orioles, continue to tank and continue to profit because of revenue sharing, because of big market clubs. So because of national um, TV deals, legal, national sponsorship correct. deals, it's a it's a legal monopoly they have. They have an antitrust that nobody else has. I encourage people to like read up on it before you just get upset and say, "Well, it's everyone's fault here." I want baseball. Like that's just a to me a knee jerk reaction. Um, do you want the game to be better? 
Do you want more teams to compete? Do you want to, you know, hear the Minnesota Twins cry poor every year? Like, or, or do you want some real changes? And that's what the players are fighting for. And it, it might suck to miss games. Uh, it certainly sucks right now, but it's literally the only way for things to get better. One thing I would push back on, I don't know. You did say that Manfred's job is 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 difficult, and I, I agree with that, but I think he's doing a poor job of it, honestly. Um, people say Correct. that, like, why blame Manfred? He's just a mouthpiece for the ownership. But the ownership is, uh, is diverse. It's a big group. And I think he could be better at building consensus. You know, I think that's I think that's what's lacking on his side. You know, the the what I see in this with the CB, the CBT not like moving at all is that he's being beholden to, you know, you know, 10 small markets or whatever that because obviously Steve Cohen is like, nah, man, let's push that CBT high. You know, obviously, the you know, the Steinbrenner family would rather that CBT go higher. You know, you know, the Dodgers, you know, there are you don't think so. They don't don't want to spend it. They just the Steinbrenner. Family? Yeah. There's been a lot of news over the last like year or two about how much the Yankees are afraid to go over the luxury tax. Right, so they'd rather how, have it higher. Old, old George Steinbrenner, yes. The Suns, I think it's a different ballgame. Well, I, I would say that there are people that would rather have the CBT higher because they'd rather not pay the penalties and they'd rather buy a better team. Uh, and you know, buy the players they need to have a better team. But in any case, uh, you know, the Padres, I think, are an excellent example of how he could have used the Padres as an example to kind of build some consensus for the CBT going higher. So he could say to some mid-market teams, you don't think that the CBT is a big deal right now, but look at the Padres. Look at how you could grow a team. You could, uh, you know, you could, you know, uh, have some things change in your home market. Maybe an NBA team leaves or an NFL team leaves or something happens in your home market. Maybe you get a core of players together and you want to compete. And all of a sudden, you're, you're up against the CBT. You never thought you would be. And then you can't make a deal for Joey Gallo because you're going to go into the tax too far, right? So you, yeah. you can't improve your team when, when you really needed it most. And so maybe some of you mid-market teams that are voting against or, or speaking against raising the CBT should consider the Padres in your sort of in, in when you're thinking about this and maybe get on board with raising the CBT. I mean, raising the CBT at all, basically. <laughs> I mean, I would make an argument that you shouldn't have one. Just that you're not going to get there. It, it's among the utopian major league baseball changes that we would hope for but never get would you would you think that the team that, that the sport would be better if the yankees and dodgers and red sox could just spend i don't think it would be worse like i, I hear because if you didn't change the rest of the structure if you're not going to pay <laughs> younger players fair market value if you're going to even if you bump them up even if you give them the raise they're asking for which is less than they deserve let's say you give them that let's say you make this minimum salary 750k okay Juan Soto in his first year was worth like 30 million. Mm -hmm. That still happened. Like you win because you have guys like that. You have a group of young players. The super team does not work nearly as well in baseball. Mm -hmm. And I know people are going to go back and say, well, look at the Yankees throughout the 90s. They were dominant and they were spending the most on payroll. Look at the Dodgers more recently. They have won World Series. They've won. And they've gone they spent the more than anybody. Yeah. And they have won. And they got it in this shortened, cheapy season. Britt said it doesn't count. So the Dodgers <laughs> took another one for it to even count. People are going to get mad. <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but I I don't think it actually ruins the game the way people fear that it would. I think it's it's one of those things that 
on the outside, people are, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. And it kind of gives the league an excuse to operate with these constraints. It gives all the major leagues a, an excuse to have a salary cap. Mm. Why? Why? In other forms of business, why would there be a salary cap? I think you're right. You still win with young players. You kind of look at other sports, even the Lakers, you know. Uh, you put it together an old team, you play old, you know. It's really hard to win year over year over year in anything competitive when you're talking about 30 teams all having a shot to, to play. Mm. Yeah. Well, but other sports have salary caps. That's the issue. That's why you're never getting rid of it. Other sports have salary caps. Baseball does. The competitive balance tax is a salary cap, right? It's just got a different name. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. There should be a floor. It has to be. It has to be. Call it by a different name, just like the CBT. <laughs> Don't call it a floor. The other just ut- give it a different name. <laughs> the other utopian thing I want, it's impossible. We'll never have this. I want there to be consequences for sucking at running a baseball team. If your team is bad, you should get relegated. You should lose money. You should feel it in your pocketbooks. The truth is, and the problem is, even if that happened, it wouldn't be the person who owned the team that felt it. It would be everyone employed by the team and connected to the team. It'd be the people that have businesses near the stadium whose little businesses would crater because interest in the team would go in the tank when the team sucks, right? The billionaire would be fine because he makes his money somewhere else. It's so hard to inflict any sort of pain on the people who run Major League Baseball. That's why it's such an uphill battle. Like This is the worst game of Monopoly you've ever seen where you're losing, you know you're going to lose, you keep rolling the dice anyway and you keep playing, and the person who's beating you is not only beating you, but they're cheating. They're taking extra money from the bank. They're slipping extra community (laughs) chests and chance cards along the way because winning by a lot isn't enough. They have to win by more. At what point in a relationship, in a game like that, at what point are you better off flipping the board over than continuing to roll the dice? That's where I think we're at right now. I don't think the players are doing that, but I don't think they'd be wrong if they did. Yeah. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. We said we, we, said we weren't going to yeah, talk about this. Yeah, what did the outline say after, after that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Fine. You guys want to be... Derek, that was a That was a forced segue. Yeah. <laughs> you pulled the string. You I had did to. it. You guys did this. I had to flip the board. Yeah. I had to. All right. Fine. You know what? I'm tired of talking about it. People are tired of hearing yeah. about it. We're all tired of it. Well, so why do we care? I guess that is a real question. This is the fun question, right? Like, why... Why do you root for a baseball team? Why do you watch games? Why do you listen to games? Why do you cover this? Why do we do this for work? Why do we do this podcast, right? If, if we despise the people that run this game so much, why do we put up with their behavior 
what is the reason for it, right? Like, you think back, like, my first baseball memory was the 92 NLCS, the Game 7 between the Braves and the Pirates. And I would have been, doing the math, eight years old. So that game was about to end. The Pirates were about to win. They were up 2 nothing going into the bottom of the ninth inning. I was asleep. Uh, I liked Atlanta as a kid because when we were children, all children in the 80s and 90s, you could maybe watch about four teams depending on where you lived. I lived in West Michigan. You could watch the Tigers. You could watch the Cubs. You could watch the White Sox. And you could watch the Braves. Those were the four teams you could see all the time. Everybody else, they existed on SportsCenter. And it was cool to watch that because you didn't have highlights on your phone back then. And that was awesome. Hold on the rant. I'll save that for another day. <laughs> but my mom woke me up because I loved baseball. I played Little League baseball. I had baseball cards. We played baseball games out in the street and in the fields nearby. Like we, as kids in the neighborhood, we loved baseball. My mom woke me up because I was asleep. It was a school night. And the Braves rallied and they came back and they won that game. And you remember, you probably can picture the play. Sid Bream with five knee surgeries. Hobbling. lumbering around yeah. the bases, barely beating the play at the plate and scoring a game-winning run that sent Atlanta to the World Series where they lost. Francisco Cabrera, I think, hit it. Francisco Cabrera hit it. And the funny thing was, is a month or so ago, I was just driving home, shuffling through the channels on the radio, and of course, with no other content to play, MLB Network Radio was replaying the radio broadcast of that game. So I pulled the car over when I got to the garage and just sat here and, and just listened to the final five minutes of the game because I'd never heard the radio call. You know, I'd seen the highlights multiple times since it happened and remember watching it live as a kid. And I just thought, like, well, this is why I love baseball. It's not it's not even because it's major league baseball. It was the element of surprise. It was the the hope, the little bit of hope you had that your team could somehow, against all odds, win in an unlikely spot. Right? It's the reason you love any sport. It's not just baseball in particular. That to me is like a defining moment for why I love baseball. Maybe the second biggest one for me is moving to Wisconsin a few years later, becoming a Brewers fan when they sucked, no one wanted to go to games, and then as a college kid, finally seeing them go to the postseason. A decade later of rooting for bad teams, seeing that happen, like that somehow rooting for a bad team that became good kind of fortified my love for the game. I don't know how that's even possible, but it all comes back to a game I used to play a game that I've watched since I was a little kid and maybe seeing myself in in the players when I was younger, but then also finding a new way to enjoy the game as I grew up where I was trying to say, what's going to happen next? Trying to predict it became the thing that kept me coming back. But how about you guys? I mean, Britt, what is what was the moment for you when the light bulb went on? You're like, yeah, baseball, it's awesome. And, and what keeps you coming back? Yeah, I think it's a good question. So I'm from Connecticut and so... Um, you're either a Yankees or a Red Sox fan. And my dad was a huge, huge, huge sports fan in general, but a huge Yankees fan. Um, and, you know, I was born in the late 80s. So I vividly remember the 90s Yankees, which, I mean, how do you not root for those teams? I mean, it was a lot of fun. I remember being allowed to stay up late um, when it was a really important game or when it was a playoff game. And we'd all watch the games in my living room and uh, my dad, we actually growing up had a big, a big screen, like a movie projector almost um, in the living room to better watch sports games. <laughs> and, you know, I just remember watching those games with my dad and my sisters and, you know, you just get so excited. And I mean, I never played baseball. I played softball, but to me that was close enough, right? Like we got into football in our house, we got into hockey, but you never, we never played any version of football. We did play street hockey, but we never played any organized version of either of those sports. Whereas 
softball in my house was a big deal. We played on travel teams. My sister played in college. Um, so baseball became kind of that thing. We lived right by a field so we could walk there a lot. I'd go over there with my grandfather and play catch. And, you know, I think of all the sports, you know, baseball is something that my sister and I could grab gloves and throw in the backyard and play. We used to throw the baseball off of our house, like off of the chimney, because it wouldn't really damage the siding too much um, and field it off of that because you never knew what the hop was going to be. Right. We would do that for hours. Um, and that's how you fall in love with the game. You know, we would practice pop-ups um, to each other for hours in the backyard. And I think that's how I fell in love with the game. Um, those are the memories I associate with it. My dad and grandfather aren't here anymore. So those are things that like I think about, you know, when I see these guys from the Yankees, like I can't think about Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit and some of these other guys without thinking about my dad. Uh, when I first got into baseball reporting and I was in New York, around the Yankees in 09 when they went to the World Series. You're like, this is why I do this. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and I just think of all the sports to cover, baseball is the sport where you get the access, you get to know the people. And the more you get to know people and share their stories, uh, the more you're creating that next group of fans, right? Every time I write a story about a player, a human interest story or a feature or whatever, I'm like, who's going to read this and be like, you know what? I'm going to root for this guy now. I'm going to pull for this guy now and develop that personal connection. I think that's what we're looking for in all these sports, right? Like it's fine to just not care who wins, but the games that you remember, the sports you remember, the teams you get into are ones where you develop that personal connection. And that to me um, is what baseball has that other sports don't is they've always had the access. They've always been able to, to give you that personal connection. Yeah, that's wild. It's uh, I think we all have like a slightly different uh, ways in, and it's it's kind of cool because it also colors um, I think our writing and our analysis and the you know I think it, it speaks to who we are as people because I you know I share with Derek that that kind of that moment that Francisco Cabrera that was an amazing moment for me. I'm a little bit older, so uh, that was a more of a culmination. That was more like your Brewers moment for me, you know, because that was I'd been, you know, I've been a Braves fan since I came to America in 1986, and they had been so bad for so long, you know, and we were buying tickets, you know, for the top sh for the top, and 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 being ushered down uh, in like the fourth inning because there was nobody there at the, at that at uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and so you know, got to see the players up close, which I think is, is huge. I think that that's a little bit like, you know, when Britt talks about playing it, you know, that was, there's something about seeing players up close, you know, or, or playing it yourself that, that makes that connection for you. Uh, but also, yeah, following a bad team, but there's this a little, a little bit different aspect too. Like for me, you know, I was a coin collector first. You know, I have a, a, a fairly large coin collection. My mom uh, was concerned that I wasn't finishing the books I was starting to read. And so she actually made me start writing little, you know, like book reports, just little index cards about the books <laughs> I was reading. So I had a huge library with like a little collection of, of, of little reports about each book. Uh, I had a collection of... Uh, I don't even know, man. I had so many different collections, and do you have baseball of course, cards? Yeah, and so base, and so I. baseball yeah. cards became another collection. But the thing that was in, true for all these collections is deep diving. You know, I love how rich and deep baseball is, and that's that's what you know. Going to the park, that's what collecting cards uh, became about. That's what 
what baseball has always been about to me is learning why, how did the Braves get better? How did they build this team? Why is Greg Maddox good? Why is John Smoltz better? <laughs> That's what I used to... I, mean, I don't know. I'm not crazy for that thought, but like, you know, as a kid, I was like, John Smoltz has crazy stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it all links to my, you know, the way I, I, I digest baseball even now because my conversations at the game were always, almost always started with why, you know? Uh, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Should they do this? You know, uh, you know, and and different aspects of of who's actually the best player on the field, like that. Those conversations of like, you know, is who's better, Andrew Jones or Chipper Jones, and and stuff like that. So, you know, we, you know, I I love the deep dive aspect, and um, you know, there's there's a little funny story here. Uh, uh, so. Uh, you know, I didn't know uh, my biological father, my uh, and my mother and stepfather split right around the time I came to America. So my mother put me in Big Brothers Big Sisters, and so I had uh, a big brother that was, uh, you know, really into uh, into the Braves, and so I would go to games with him. And uh, he told me he had really good seats. And he told me the story behind it. Uh, so they used to have, he was with a, he's a lawyer and he had other lawyer friends and they used to have tickets in like the late seventies and early eighties when the Braves were bad. Um, and they had tickets that were okay season tickets. And then the Braves were like randomly good in 1981. They had a really good season in 1981, just randomly. They weren't supposed to be good. They weren't good before or after, <laughs> but in 81, they were good. And then in 1982, the, they, the guys that had their, their season tickets, uh, no one ever called them. You're supposed to get sort of the. You're supposed to get that call. You want them again this year. No one ever called them. They called them a couple days before uh, before opening day, and they said, well, "You never called us." They say, "Oh, we sold your tickets." You know, because everyone been all excited about 1982, and we sold your tickets. We've got tickets for you over here. So they got worse tickets. So they go to opening day. They drink a few adult sodas, and they start heckling uh, Turner from across the field. So, because Turner used to sit on the field. So they're yelling across the field at Turner about how he doesn't care about his fans and he's and he sold them out and he's a sellout and all this stuff. And they're, you know, more adult sodas, more yelling. And they yell so loud that a writer up in the press box hears them. And he goes down and gets the story from them. And on day two of the 1982 season, there was an article that said. Ted Turner sells out longtime fans. <laughs> and uh, there was an interview with them. And they got a phone call that day saying, okay, where would you like to sit? And Amazing. so uh, when I went to games with him, we were like 14th row behind home plate. And that was from 1986 to 1994 in Atlanta. And so uh, there was something really true about that too, because I when I took my kids to the A's game when we were up we were up high, um, you know they were they were kind of like into eating the cotton candy and and the whole atmosphere, which is cool too. But then um, a security guard on the way in uh, gave me some tickets because uh, he couldn't sell them and he he recognized me, so he, he he gave me some tickets and they were like eighth row, and both of them just immediately were at the edge of their seats. They were like, look at these people. You know, look at these athletes. And so, you know, I do think about that sometimes in the context of, you know, people like to blame rising ticket prices uh, on the player salaries. I don't think that's true. 
but I do think about how that was important to me that I got to see players up close. One thing I do like is some places have the the fast pass or like the, you know what I'm talking about? The, the like... Um, For the minor leagues, they have like a... Oh, like the Orioles have like a little Birdland pass where you can go to any of the affiliates. Right. That's good, I think. Uh, That's huge. Which makes it really easy. Yeah. We used to go to the New Haven Raven games. I think they were double A. Yeah. Um, in Connecticut. They they don't exist anymore. But you're right. I think there is something to be said. To go to spring training, minor league games, I think that fosters and that's another reason that the true indicated spring training may not hit hurt people in the their wallets, but it hurts all the families who want to go down there every year. We'll plan vacations down there whose kids don't get to see players up close except for when they go to spring training. Yeah. And some some parks have like a, a, a like a way that you can buy like sort of for like 15 bucks get into the stadium. Um, I didn't know and that. Uh, yeah. that's the A's did it. Um, you know, there's it's a little bit like variable pricing. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that can be cool because there's a lot of standing room places. Um, you know, like if yeah. you know, my hack for the, the Padres games is to get a seat out on the lawn, uh, and then go behind home plate where there is standing room only, um, you know, space. And you can actually see the game from about, uh, 25 rows up behind home plate. Um, it's a pretty, pretty good spot to see things. So I don't know, I, I think offering fans, uh, some places where they can see the players up close is actually super important for, for growing the game among young, young people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the the other part of, of my, I think, love for the Brewers came from a similar situation where we had access to some tickets that no one wanted. They were corporate tickets that were going unused because they were bad. Unfortunately, <laughs> the John Jaha, Dave Nilsson Brewers were not a big draw. So when those tickets would go unused, they would end up with my mom and she would bring me and my brother and my sister and the four of us would go. And they had similar to the seats you described, you know, probably 20 rows back behind home plate those are fantastic seats but even even at that time we had another neighbor that had uh i think season tickets up in the upper deck at the old county stadium and they often had an extra ticket so they'd bring me along so i I just got to see a lot of games and i think had i not been lucky enough to to see any or even just a handful it, it would have changed a lot about how much i was interested in baseball i mean i could have easily become more interested in football or basketball or hockey or something else entirely i, I think that's really easy so we've talked about that a lot over the years on, on rates and barrels it's like what what are you going to do to keep young fans interested not having games is a problem not having spring training games is a problem for for all of those reasons Cutting minor league affiliates is a problem but i think that's why people get so a lot of people are finally getting so irritated with how things are, are run. It's like you, you know, you can profit wildly from this and still keep people interested. That's part of your your duty, right? Like you get this exclusive club access to basically unlimited profit. The only thing we're asking for in return is to not turn the game into complete and utter garbage. Like l- at least let us watch. Don't black games out. Make the tickets accessible. Don't take baseball out of communities because you can save a few bucks by not having this many players on rosters. Like that, it's just it's absurd, right? So I think it's easy for everyone listening to sit back and go, "Yes, this." I remember that moment where I really started to like say, "Baseball is my thing," and and it's a d- different points of life for everyone. But I think for a lot of people, it was sometime when they were a kid because it's almost hard to fall so hard for a sport as an adult, knowing more about what's really happening with all the politics and everything connected to these, these games. Yeah. I think what you do or what I do as an adult is I root for players, right? I don't, 
I don't necessarily root for teams as a reporter. You really can't. Um, I root for players. I don't know how you guys feel I think about that's a that. Big, I think it's a big difference between us and the, the average fan, though. Is you root for players? I root for specific players I know that I like. Yeah, that have good I think stories that's what happens that when you become a reporter. Yeah, I think that's a little bit different. I, I think you do root for a good story. I do think team loyalty in general is kind of fading over time. I think younger generations are are growing up in a time where they can see players that they previously couldn't see. Like I remember, like I told you guys a little earlier, in, in 94, like there were maybe four teams you could watch mm-hmm. and you'd see highlights. Now you can see everybody. That's true. Right? You, ha- you have products like MLB you also TV, have or, or you just go on your phone and you can just see everything DFS as it happens. And, and betting and fantasy, which are more pro player than pro team. Right. So yeah. you start to draw connections from, from individual players that are a lot stronger than you did social media back when you were stuck Some to one direct team. access yeah. to those players. Correct. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, like how many people are fans of Shohei Otani or Mike Trout that aren't Angels fans? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a pretty significant chunk. Or Trey Mancini, who, you know, I think is a great story coming back, obviously, from colon cancer, right? Like how many people, you were at the All-Star Game with me, you know, like how many people were rooting and pulling for that guy mm. who you know are not watching Orioles games? Yeah, like Rockies fans. Yeah, and how many Rockies fans yeah. were shouting, Shohei, Shohei, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was good. That was a good tenor change guys i feel like if you haven't turned us off yet stick with us Uh (laughs) no but i think i think yeah i think you know uh, finding ways to 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 um because variable pricing is is kind of what has allowed uh, teams to make about the same amount of money from declining attendance Right. So the just, you know, basically gaming um, and and when when people say that, like, oh, prices are up because player salaries are up. No, prices are up because teams know everything about you. They have modeled you. They have modeled exactly how much you're willing to pay for Astros Yankees or, you know, Dodgers Giants or A's Mariners, you know, uh, on a Tuesday night. They've modeled all this stuff out. You know, I, they, like I, I had to spike a story because of <clears throat> interference. Uh, <laughs> but uh, remember when the A's actually gave away all the tickets? They said that the 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 uh, the, the the game was free. They had a free game, no uh, no ticket prices. It was absolutely free. All the tickets were free, uh, and they did it on a Tuesday night. I thought two things were interesting. They sold out. Everybody came. I'm sure they made money on concessions that day, and it was a good deal. And and parking. Tons yeah. of kids. Tons of kids at that game because finally families are like, oh, my God, I could take my family of five, and it doesn't. I don't have to take a mortgage out, right? So tons of kids. And the last thing was, and this is why the story got spiked, I, I heard that uh, the A's had projected attendance for that night uh, as the lowest of the season. So they did it because the math worked out, right? They did it because mm-hmm. of variable pricing. They knew that only like 1,500 people were going to buy tickets that night anyway. So they went from 1,500 people being in there to 42,000 by making it free, you know? Um, so it is, you know, it is hard sometimes in the face of math to say like, how, you know, how can you do, how can we hap- capture that moment for the A's and and do that for other teams? How can we... Uh, like convince people 
and maybe you can't. Maybe maybe there's no knight in Fenway that's so that, that's uh, that's so low in attendance, projected to be so low in attendance that they'd even have five dollar tickets. Uh, you know, maybe that doesn't exist. But um, you know, I do. I I did see that little moment, which is kind of an interesting kind of business business gave way because the numbers worked out. Business gave way to like this really cool moment for kids. And I wish there yeah. was more of that. Business saw a better path for business that happened to work out in the That's favor what I'm of saying. public. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I wish there was more of that. I wish there was more of that. What about spring training? I mean, they could do it at spring training more, like Fort Myers with the Red Sox. Why couldn't you do just make all the tickets, yeah, make all the right? burn tickets like basically free? You know, make it make the lawn seats. Yeah. You know, all the people sit on the grass and clear water and stuff like that. Make, that like, make all the lawn free. seats first come first serve. Yeah, you know, um, people are going to still buy. You're right, food, concessions, you know, and if they're not spending money on tickets, maybe they're buying shirts for their kids, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're buying souvenirs now. Because uh, don't you remember being a little kid? I remember I had to have, a, we had to have souvenirs everywhere we went, like those little stupid penny things. <laughs> like every time we went to Disney used to or, buy shot you know, glasses whatever. Everywhere I traveled. Um, which wasn't a lot. I, I say that like we went a ton, but you know, like you're a little kid, you love stuff, uh -huh. right? Um, and it's always expensive, overpriced stuff. You love going to the gift shop and getting stuff as a little kid. Um, you know, and maybe when your 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 parents haven't had to spend uh, an arm and a leg on tickets, they're like, you know what? You want to pick out a T-shirt here? Go ahead. Spring training prices are 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 high. It is an interesting yeah. thing that right now uh, the owners would be making a bunch of money on spring training tickets, and the uh, players would not be being paid. So. I don't know if that will factor into any of the leverage that's happening right now, but like, you know, tickets for Giants games, uh, you know, some of those those spring training games sell out and sell out of tickets. So, I, I, you know, it's hard to kind of appeal to better nature when business is involved. In fact, there was an an, an Angels uh, front office executive that got fired for saying it. Uh, but he basically said that they didn't want to have people in to stadium that would only buy low price tickets because they weren't high value customers. They didn't buy jerseys. They didn't buy, you know, a lot of concessions. And so they didn't really care about them as much. And uh, that was sort of saying the quiet part out loud. But it's also just, you know, the business of baseball. So there's got to be some innovation, I think. Um, and, I, you know, what, what about this? Do you think... These innovations that they do, you know, talk about blackouts, right? Do you think these innovations that they're trying to do where like there's there's some news now, Apple uh, TV and Peacock uh, and you've seen the YouTube games. Uh, I know that what I know how I feel about them. Yes, there's money involved, but they also are getting games for free to people, right? That may not otherwise see them. So there's a little bit of that, you know, Derek getting to see the Braves in 1994 on TV, right? Where... Maybe you create some fans on YouTube because it's on YouTube. Do you think? Do you think that's good business, bad business, irrelevant? Let's let's pull it away from baseball as the product and say a podcast. Any place you can put a podcast where people who wouldn't find it otherwise, it's a good idea, mm. right? So I don't I don't think it matters what your product is. I think getting it in front of people who wouldn't otherwise get a chance to see or hear it is always a good idea. That is a risk that is always worth taking. The cost to you as the person making the thing borderline zero mm. and the possibility of, of bringing in new fans who are ultimately customers it's pretty high so mm. it seems like a no-brainer it's just weird for me it's just like you're gonna have a phillies braves game on youtube it's like are you gonna 
are you just going to randomly fall into, you're just going to be like, oh, look, YouTube is recommending me this baseball game. You watch it and then, I mean, that could be it. Like we had, we all had like the first game we saw, you know. You had to have a moment to see the thing to even ever know it existed and then get excited about it again. A random Wednesday afternoon, if Bryce Harper hits a walk-off in that game and that's the first baseball memory you have, Mm. you probably want to go see that again because you saw something really exciting. There is a point if you make the product bad enough, you can put the product in front of as many people (laughs) as you want. It doesn't matter then. We're not there. We're not there with baseball. But I think it's interesting because, like, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, I have baseball exists elsewhere on the screen. I find it interesting that you look at the way people draw fans to minor league games. They're not bringing you to a minor league game by telling you the baseball is great. They're bringing you to a minor league game because there is a country music concert afterwards. There is a fireworks show. We're screening the Sandlot, and you can bring a blanket and sit on the field. We've got craft beer. We've got a paunch burger for you. Uh, We literally made the paunch burger from Parks and Rec, and we want you to come eat a paunch burger with us. And we're going to charge you like $13 for it, but you're just excited to eat a paunch burger because nobody else has that. And there's a few different things about that that make sense. Well, yeah, you got to give people a reason to show up for a team that they don't have an attachment to or a game that they might not even really like that much. Baseball does exist in these other places, right? Major League Baseball is not our only choice. Minor League Baseball, that's an option. Independent ball is increasingly more of an option. College baseball is on right now. So with the lockout, with the owners locking out the players, with Major League Baseball spring training not happening, spring training games not happening right now, are you going to get your fix watching Texas and Arkansas and LSU and Stanford and all these great college programs that are on and usually available through streaming ESPN plus like there's actually a surprising number of college baseball games you can watch with a pretty small amount of effort but it doesn't seem like there's nearly the interest in it that there is you know relative to high levels of competition in a lot of other sports the the interest in college basketball is a lot higher college football obviously a lot higher even college hockey i feel like if you said guess which one's more popular college hockey or college baseball, I'd say they're probably pretty close. I don't know. The bean pot, like, I know th- I know what the bean pot is, you know? I know what that yeah. is. I don't know. Do I don't know a name for another matchup between baseball teams. I know that the College World Series is in Omaha. Uh, yeah. That's about it. That's, that's about that, that's the Stanford's end of my knowledge. Decent. I think baseball. it's our fault, though. I think that's our fault because there's no media coverage. There's co- media coverage of college football, of college basketball, even in these hotbeds. And again, I'm from New England, so college hockey is a big deal. Like, it still gets covered. It's chicken and egg, though. It's chicken and egg, though. Media know, covers what it reads. Like, I, I did, I went, when I was at Fangraphs, I went and covered some of my earliest times in the press box were at Stanford. And I was covering Mark Appel and Aaron Judd and you know people that were at the top of their game at that time Stanford and and Fresno played in the super regional I was there Piscotti you know there was a lot of people who became pros that were out of there there were big big time programs at the time and whenever I wrote about it I would get crickets nobody would read it and nobody cared so but then that goes back to my other point though does nobody care because nobody has that personal connection right mm. like who are these players who are they? And I think that is a little bit of a thing with baseball. It, there, there's a lot of players, and they wear a cap, and like you know, it's a it's a little bit more, and it's homogenous racially. You know, it's a little bit more just like, especially I think you know, college baseball. You know, it seems to me like pretty pretty white. 
Um, you know, and then so it's just like, you know, it's just like this amorphous blog blob of people, you know. Um, I would also say this, you know, there are minor league teams that have great experiences. So I am more likely uh, to be excited myself about taking my children to see a game at the San Jose Giants where I know they have good beer and good food and they have some games for the, the kids to play outside. They have these little, you know, almost like carnival games and that they'll do funny things on the field. Uh, they they yeah. do really funny things like uh, a a chipping contest. They have the thing where they everyone comes out and throws. They get they get like a bucket of balls and whoever does more damage to the truck. They have a truck there and you're just whipping balls at the truck and whoever does more damage to the truck wins something. Um, so they have these like funny games that they play and they it's a more experience. When I go to Stanford, I'm gonna take the kids there. It's gonna be cheap. We're gonna find a place on the lawn. We'll watch for like two innings before my kids are like, Dad, can we go home? Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I'm gonna be like, there's no beer here. This, the food is bad. All right, let's go. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm planning on going to a game this weekend. They're home again this weekend. Stanford? Yes, they're home again this weekend. I'll go for the first oh. time probably probably Saturday. Nice. So say hello yeah. if I am if I'm actually there. Oh, we could plan on going maybe Friday night. Yeah. I uh, I got we got labor. Oh yeah. Not birth, but <laughs> the fantasy baseball <laughs> labor. So I was I was wondering what that was. Yeah, cuz everyone's like labor is that? No. L A B R. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think the thing I'm expecting to see is pretty much just baseball. I don't think college baseball operates in the same headspace as minor league baseball because they're not thinking about it from, hey, let's bring a circus to town and, oh, there's a baseball game over your shoulder. College if you baseball, watch they that want to win. They want to win these games. Ten years ago, I was I lived in Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin for a long time. We had a Northwoods League team. It's a Woodbat College Summer League. It's like the yes. Cape Cod League. They have these all over the place. Max Scherzer played in one. I think he should, I think he played in the Northwoods League, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, if you think about that product, that is college players from multiple programs from other parts of the country flocking to some place 
playing games on random summer nights. How do you get people to watch that? Well, you have unlimited food and drink. You have players dancing on the field. You have all sorts of things for children. You have bounce houses. It, it is literally just like a, a mini amusement park. It is happy hour plus amusement park plus dinner surrounding a baseball diamond. Mm-hmm. Half of the eyes, at least in the stadium, are not even actually looking at the field <laughs> when pitches are being thrown, which is probably the best case. Like Northwoods League gets some protective netting, like someone's going to get destroyed. That's it's important. It's important. Even when I was falling in love with baseball, I was among the the players' wives and kids. I was looking at the kids. I was looking at at Fred McGriff's kid. You know, I was looking at, at Deion Sanders' girlfriend. Well, sorry. <laughs> Strange sidebar. All of this is to say, so you see what they're doing there. And then I this was a story that came up about, about a year ago. One of our listeners, Chandler, emailed me about it over the weekend. In Savannah, Georgia, they are working on something called Banana Ball. They have played Banana Ball games. Now, the Savannah Bananas are a new team in a league that it, it's just like the Northwoods League. It is a college wood bat summer league. It's the Coastal Plains League. It's a league that I'd never heard of until I read the story about it. <laughs> and it's owned by a husband and wife duo that worked in independent ball and minor league ball together. They understand that it's entertainment that brings people in. It's not just baseball. But while they play these regular baseball games still for the summer league schedule, they sat down as a team and kind of said, how could we make baseball better? What are the things people don't like about baseball? What are the things that casual fans who come to our games, what don't they like? about the pace of play and different things. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see the the banana ball rules. Every single inning counts. What does that mean? It means each inning is a separate little game. So you get a point by winning an inning. You outscore the team, you get one point. If it's a tie, no one gets any points. There's a two-hour time limit. Uh, first point, first team to five points wins the game, so the game can end earlier than two hours. Oh. If you get to two hours and it's three to two, you have a, a showdown tiebreaker, which we'll get to shortly. They got a few simple modifications. No stepping out of the box. No bunting, which I think we could put into all forms of baseball today, and I'd be happy with that. Batters can steal first. You throw a wild pitch, the batter can just go. Love that. So I, that That's good. It's going to encourage command. No walks allowed. So what that really means, if you throw four balls to a hitter in banana ball, the batter can run until every defensive player other than the catcher and pitcher have touched the ball. So as soon as the fourth ball happens, you start throwing the ball around and the hitter is running. And by the time the last fielder touches the ball, it's live. So if the runner happens to between the outfielders count too. What? So if they're between second and third, they could throw the runner out at third or the runner could stop at second. They have a choice. And I think what that does, what that level of chaos does, it's going to keep pitchers in the zone. It also includes, like, there's more defensive, like, there's more people touching the ball. There's more ball being thrown around. I like it. The action, the action on a walk, like, the, the walk is, is one of the most exciting? boring plays in <laughs> yeah. baseball. And you're like, yeah. I kind of want to see a walk. I kind of want to see if someone can score on a walk. If, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if you walk Billy Hamilton in banana ball, oh my God. he might score twice if you let him <laughs> score twice. I don't think that's allowed, but maybe they'll consider that as a modification. The one-on-one showdown tiebreaker, holy cow. So this goes back to Rube Waddell, apparently. As explained by, by Jesse Cole, there's a bunch of stories about this. Jesse and his wife are the two people that own this team. Rube Waddell was this guy that pitched like 100 years ago, and you know he'd get drunk before games. He'd walk through the stands and drink fans' beers, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging that behavior. <laughs> 
But apparently there was this this incident where he was pitching and he waved the defense off the field and said, I got this guy. And it was like this amazing <laughs> level of showmanship that you just can't even imagine in baseball. So it was inspired by by that. I don't remember the outcome of that particular play. So what it is, it's pitcher versus hitter. There's still a catcher behind the plate, and you get one fielder, and the one fielder has to be on the infield grass. But if the hitter puts the ball in play, only the three defenders, the pitcher, the catcher, or the guy on the infield grass can go get the ball and try to get the player out. So he's running around. He's trying to score. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only outcome is either he scores or it's an out. And they use that to break ties at the end of the wow. game, or if they don't get to five, which is incredible. No mound visits also, and then the wackiest rule maybe so of like all. so like anything maybe. the outfield is, is uh, well, probably a win, yeah. It's trouble, but if you have a fast player out there with a good arm, he might get there and make a play and get the player out at home. <laughs> those, are, those are exciting. I want to see some banana ball. Yeah. I definitely want to see it. And if a fan, here's the other one, if a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out. <laughs> so if, if your team is hitting and if you have a Bartman situation, knock it down, yeah. right? You don't want to catch it. So you just you slap oh the God. ball down. You know what's great about that too? I don't think people understand this about the modern game. One of the things that's really up right now are foul balls. It's like a, oh, yeah. it's a little hidden thing within strikeouts and within stuff. Like foul balls are really up over over you know up, up, higher than they've ever been, and foul balls are fairly boring too. Now this rule would make foul balls exciting, <laughs> and we're all like people trying already, to root yeah. for that guy to catch the ball anyway. People already knock each other over in a way that's <laughs> somewhat concerning. Yeah, when it this comes one to foul you balls. have to sign waivers to get into the banana ball field. If, Raising the stakes, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's dangerous potentially, but fun. If this lockout goes long enough, do you think the athletic would pay for me to go out to the West Coast with you guys so we could play banana ball? Yeah, get a barnstorming <laughs> yes. game. Meet in Arizona. Get some Content real life. I'm here for. Get some real life Major League Baseball players to play some banana ball. Totally. No one's like setting up leagues all over the place with this yet. So they've kind of got this traveling show. They're taking it on the road. They're doing the Banana Ball World Tour. I think last year they had two cities. This year they got a few more. And I, it's like it's kind of like the Globetrotters. Okay, so you can watch the Harlem Globetrotters and say, well, of course, that's not really competitive basketball. And it's not. It, it's a show. And I think the reason why it, it it scratches me where I itch is it's at least thinking about what could change with baseball? I'm not saying that all of those banana ball modifications need to happen. No no reasonable baseball fans demanding that. But I would watch this other game yeah. because it's close yeah. enough to hitting a round thing with a club and running around, which I definitely and like. Actually, it has more running around than the, the actual game. It has more action. And I just think you could you need people who think like that to be part of your long-term vision for the sport. Even if you're not going to enact more than a couple of changes like that over a span of 40 years, they're at least thinking about the problem in the right sort of way. So I do want to see Banana Ball. It probably will sell out before I get my tickets. <laughs> I would love to go on assignment. I would love to play Banana Ball. And there's a ton of information about it. I'll, I'll throw some links into the description of the show if you're like, what, what are you talking about? But apparently, most of baseball media was covering this a year ago. And I realized the reason I wasn't into it a year ago is because it's prime fantasy baseball draft season. Mm. And we were coming off of the pandemic short in 2020 with what looked like a very normal 2021. So my excitement was directed at Tout Wars and Labor and the NFBC and opening day being a couple of weeks away. So I completely missed this when everybody else was on it a year ago. Yeah. 
I remember I remember seeing some clips. I, there was some fun stuff too, where like I remember seeing a guy uh, announce himself. Uh, so there was a batter that was coming to the plate, and he like took the mic and like gave himself like a wrestling style entrance <laughs> as he got to the plate, which I thought was fun. But uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember all these rule changes. Those are those are really interesting. Yeah, I mean it, it's just like why not? Why not try this and. I think it's another level on top of what you see in a lot of minor league games in terms of entertainment. Like, make the product itself a little bit different too, and I think you could find some some really fun results along the way. But uh, I don't know. Is your excitement level at mine, or am I just on an island over here with this? I mean, you know, you seem kind of it. in. Brit Brit wants to play. <laughs> I, I think I think playing it would be a lot I of like fun. To but play. yeah, I think that would be awesome. I'm excited. I think it sounds fun, and I agree with you know on the minor league games. I think. You know, as a sport, like you need to be entertaining, you know, especially as this, the game itself has slowed down. And especially because we're in an industry where or we're in a society where you can't watch TV without scrolling your phone. You need to be like constantly stimulated. Right. Um, so, yeah, give me the show. Give me all the, the chaos. We talked about the All-Star game and maybe next week, if we're still in a lockout, we can get into how we want to, you know, bring banana ball to the all-star game. Maybe and the, some the of that all-star stuff. game should be banana ball. You know? Know. Like, It'd actually be pretty cool if you took the best banana ball barnstormers, because as this continues to get momentum, you're going to have all sorts of former college players, Legion players, all these guys that get into banana ball because they missed the competitive aspect of baseball, but didn't go pro in baseball. Maybe you take the banana ball all-stars and they play the major league baseball all-stars. <laughs> like it's, it's their game. And you're giving up, you know, or at least replace the talent. celebrity all star, the celebrity softball game, which is oh, pretty lame. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I would guess if we asked Jenny Finch, she'd say, "Yeah, banana ball sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll play." <laughs> we could have celebrities play the play the players that play the banana ball players. <laughs> I would yeah. actually watch that. The other thing they noticed, this is the last thing I'll say about it for for this week, is they they were saying that people actually stayed until the end of the game, which. For the Mallards, for the regular Bananas games, for any minor league game you've ever been to, this happens in major league games. People beat the traffic. Mm -hmm. They leave in the seventh yeah. inning if the game's not close. People leave even earlier from minor league games and, and summer wood bat league games. They'll take off to the fourth or fifth inning, and it's like, oh, whatever, whatever. I, got, I got my fun. I was here for an hour. I ate my dinner, and, and that's it. But people are actually staying to the end of the banana ball game because it's two hours or less, and there's a lot more action throughout. So... Uh, yes, I am very excited, and I will willingly offer to go on assignment for a story for the first time in my career as a content maker. I'm not a writer. I'm a content maker, I've decided. Sounds fancy. I like it. Goes Good. on a card. Good. That's what, it looks really nice on a business card if I ever if I ever in my life get business cards printed up again. Nobody uses those anymore. It's Nobody does use thing. them. I have a stack of them that you can have that say Brittany on it, but you can have them. I just want them to throw into the fish bowls at various places for free lunches if the places still do that. I haven't really <laughs> gone out to eat enough to know if that's actually a thing. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, if you're enjoying <laughs> the show, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a nice rating and review. Hopefully, we kept you around to the end. This is in less than two hours, so I feel like that's a, a small win. On Twitter, you can find Britt at Britt underscore Drolli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. TheAthletic.com slash baseball show has our best deal of the year, $1 a month for the first six months for a subscription to The Athletic. So, you know, as the 
Lockout rages on as news hopefully breaks. We, of course, will cover that. You know, we've got the fantasy baseball draft kit. Britt's still writing, uh, trying to get us through all of this. Plus, there's a bunch of other sports going on, too. And, and maybe banana ball features in the future. No no promises. It's, um, it's a request that we put in to the, the editors and the powers that be very soon. But that is going to do it for this episode of the 3-0 Show. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. Ooh, what am I supposed to say? 